Well, it could be argued that the book of Psalms is the most unusual book in the Bible. And there's many unique and interesting features about the book of Psalms, which I'd, I'll just share a few of those with you. Uh, number one, Psalms is the largest book in the Bible, and it contains 150 psalms. It's, uh, well, it has the most chapters anyway, but Psalms has, has the most chapters in the Bible. It has uh, the largest chapter, which I hope you know is Psalm 119. In fact, it has 176 verses in just in that one chapter alone. Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible. It only has two verses. Psalm 117 is also the middle chapter of the Bible. Uh, Psalm 118, verse 8, uh, some have considered, uh, this doesn't make sense to me, so I'm just getting the statistics from various places, but Psalm 118, in fact, we read verse 8, some have considered that the absolute middle verse of the entire Bible. And if you're wondering what it says, it says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Now, I'm not into Bible codes, but it is uh, interesting, nevertheless. Psalms has a, uh, was, was a long-term project. In fact, it, some have said up to about a thousand years in the making. Psalms is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. And Psalms and uh, the prophet Isaiah contain the most messianic prophecies than any other Old Testament book. So you will learn a lot about Jesus Christ, his person and his work from the book of Psalms. So uh, if you're not there already, turn to the book of Psalms. And I have considered how to preach the book of Psalms. As you know, I like doing big picture messages. How do you do something with 150 chapters that's that's every chapter stands alone by itself. It is a unique book. I thought about trying to give you the theological message of the Psalter, but that's extremely difficult for at least two reasons. Uh, first, uh, as I said, the book's composed of 150 individual compositions, and so it, it's really it doesn't present itself. Uh, with a systematically developing argument like other books of the Bible. Uh, the second reason is psalms are prayers that are sung to God. Uh, it, it's, it's Rather than the word of God uh, being addressed to the people, it's, it's, this is the, the Hebrew songbook, if you will. It's their hymn book. And since the message of the book is really difficult to determine, I'm, I'm going to do something that's unusual for me and I hope will be helpful to you. So what I want to do to start off with here is just kind of do a, a, literary, a literary analysis, uh, just kind of examine the structure of the Psalms, and then, then we'll end with, uh, there'll be heaps of application at, at the end of this, looking at various Psalms. So as we think about the, the uh, literary analysis of this, there's three main types of Psalms. The three most commonly occurring literary styles or genres are characterized really by the emotion that that particular psalm is trying to express to us. The psalms are very emotional. They're all over the place, really. They, they hit everything from highs and lows and everything in between. 
Uh, there's hymns of praise, lament, and thanksgiving. Uh, that that's really kind of summarizes the main ones anyway. So you need to understand that when the Israelite was in a right relationship with God and his circumstances, he would sing hymns of praise to God. And when God seemed to be distant, and it's, it's, uh, you might start to wonder if there is a God, or if God is personal and God cares about me, then the laments would come into play. That's when they would, they would use these laments as prayers to God. So a lament is really an expression of a person or a group of people's sadness to God. Uh, having said that, though, that, that when the lament was answered, the Israelite, whoever that might be, responded with a song of thanksgiving. So I want to begin our study with an analysis of these, these three major genres that are found in the Psalter. Okay? The first one is the hymn of praise. The hymn of praise. And we'll look at uh, several exa- or, or at least one example Sorry for each one of these psalms. So let's uh, turn to Psalm 100 is, is a really good example of a hymn of praise. Turn to Psalm 100. Really, the characteristic genre or literary style of the Psalter is the hymn. Uh, you will find, though, if, if you have a good study Bible, it might tell you that the laments are used more often, but the hymn really dominates the tone of the entire book. Uh, Even the Hebrew title is translated praises. It's translated praises. Another way we see the dominating tone of the book is in how the Psalter concludes, and if you look at the, the last five Psalms, Psalm 145 to Psalm 150, it, some have called that the great doxology. It's the great praise of God. And you might ask, well, how can I recognize a hymn? Okay, how, how can you recognize a hymn in the Psalter? Well, the hymn is defined by its tone of cheerful praise to the Lord. It's very cheerful. And we have a very good example here in Psalm 100. So let me just use the Word of God here to... To, to speak for itself. Look at Psalm 100, verse 1. And in fact, there's a little title in my Bible here. It says, A Psalm for Giving Thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of his pasture. Now, let's just stop there for a moment, okay? You, you notice the tone, I hope. Lots of thanksgiving, lots of praise. And one of the things I want to show you is, is in a hymn, it, they're, they're often giving reasons for praise. Now, these reasons are not historically specific here. They're general, they're vague, uh, and, and so... I personally like that because I can often use this as my own praise to God. It's not specific to, say, Israel. And so it's, it's kind of general, it's vague. And by the way, the generality appears to be intentional here. 
You might ask why. Well, I think the generality of this praise allows for the psalm to speak to later generations. It, it, it speaks to us, doesn't it? You can even use these as your own prayers of praise to God. It speaks in, in new situations, not just for these people back then. And so I want you to, to look at verse 5 to see the reasons for the praise. Why do we see this praise in verses 1 through 3? We'll look at verse 5. It says, For the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. So we see several things about God, which should, should warm our hearts, should cause us to praise. God is always good. God is, is, a, is he, His love. In fact, he's a God of steadfast love, which endures forever. He is a faithful God, not just to Israel, not just to, to David's time period, but to all generations. So that's a good example of a hymn of praise. The next one is the lament. Now remember I said you'll find, uh, as far as chapter-wise, laments. there's more laments than any other category of psalm. A lament is an expression of sadness. And so as we move from the hymn of praise to the lament, what we're doing is we're trading the joy for sorrow. In laments, the psalmist experiences trouble in his life. There's various psalmists here. It doesn't really matter who it is. And so they're turning to God for aid in their life for whatever is troubling them. They're easily recognized, these laments, by their mood. They're songs of disorientation, of abandonment, of distress, of pain, of suffering, and, and so forth. There's sadness. Laments also, by the way, have a distinctive structure. Uh, they're composed of at least seven basic elements. Now, you may not see all seven of these basic elements in one lament, but uh, you will see them throughout the Psalter. And I think, that I put them up there? Anyway... Uh, Psalm 28 is an example, but here's the seven basic elements of a lament. You, uh, sometimes they start with an invocation, which is a short prayer. Often you'll see a plea to God for help. Uh, there will be complaints. There will be, uh, four, confession of sin or an assertion of innocence. <laughs> and so they might be, the, the psalmist might be thinking, hey, you know, I'm innocent, well, I, I haven't... I haven't sinned against God, so why is this happening to me? Uh, Often there will be a curse of enemies, which some have called imprecations. There will be confidence in God's response, and there may be a hymn or a blessing involved in the lament. So knowing uh, these various elements of the laments can be helpful. Now, very few psalms evidence all seven of those basic elements, but most, they're, they're not going to go, by the way, in that order either, even if they had all seven. Not necessarily. But any lament is certainly going to contain at least one of those seven elements. Psalm 28 is a good example of a lament. So turn in your Bibles there, if you haven't already. Psalm 28. Only nine verses in this psalm, and it's a good, a short illustration of a lament. Now this one says it's a psalm of David. So let's just uh, look at uh, 
the beginning here, which is an invocation. It's, it's a plea to God for help. David says in verse 1, To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. He's pleading to God. He's desperate. And then, uh, if, you, if, you, uh, if you look at uh, verse, verse 3, he, he complains that he's treated like the wicked here. Look at verse 3. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. So verse 3, do not drag me off with the wicked. He's, he, it's a complaint, if you will, to God. And then he curses his enemies in verse 4. He says, give to them according to their work, according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. And then the psalm ends. If you, if you look at, uh, starting here in verse 6, he's declaring his confidence in God. He's singing his praise to God in verse 6. Blessed be the Lord, for he has Heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to Him. The Lord is the strength of His people. He is the saving refuge of His anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. So he ends on a, on a high note, if you will. He's declaring his confidence in God. He's praising God. And that is often a characteristic of a lament. It might start in, on a sad note, but it, the, the laments often end on a high note, if you will. They're praising often at the end of them. There's a, a third main category which we need to understand in the Psalms, and that's the Thanksgiving Psalms. The Thanksgiving Psalm is closely related to the hymn. Uh, and they're often, they often sound like a hymn at the beginning. The difference may be seen in the specific focus of the praise, though. You say, well, what is the focus of the Thanksgiving psalm? Well, they're praising God for delivering them from distress. Uh, in David's case, often David is thankful for God's deliverance from King Saul. <laughs> King Saul's wanting to kill David. And he's constantly chasing David. And David's fleeing around various places trying to stay away from Saul. And and you'll see in in David's situation, he's praising God for his deliverance from King Saul. Psalm 18 is a good example of a thanksgiving psalm. In fact, you'll notice if you have a Bible that has the titles, titles are not inspired, by the way, but they are helpful. In Psalm 18, it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a context here of what's going on in Psalm 18. So it begins like a hymn. Look at verse 1. Verse 1, Psalm 18, verse 1. I love you, O Lord, my strength. But then when you come down to verses 4 and 6, the psalmist is, is having this little bit of a flashback, if you will. He's, 
he's remembering the time of his distress when he called to God for help. Look at verse 4. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. So he's looking back at at some experiences in his life. Now the bulk of the song is devoted to actually recounting God's deliverance, and and he ends up praising God for that deliverance. Now we'll just look at a few verses here. Look at verse 16. Verse 16. David says, He sent from on high, He took me, He drew me out of many waters, He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. And then as we move on, this thanksgiving psalm is a witness to the Lord's goodness. It's a witness to God's power. It ends up praising the Lord's name, and it's doing it in front of the whole congregation. Remember, these were often sung in congregations in Israel. And it's, it's leading the rest of the congregation to praise God's name. Let's just look at uh, a few verses here. Look, look, turn over to 46. 46. Verse 46 says, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. So we have praise, we have laments, we have psalms of thanksgiving. These are the, really the three major genres or literary styles of, of the Psalter. But there are some other genres, and I'll just quickly share these with you. Again, if you have a good study Bible, you'll probably see those there in your introduction, which you can look at later. Uh, a classic example of, the, of a psalm of confidence would be Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and so forth. A uh, good example, or there, there's also psalms of remembrance, bringing to people's minds and, and they're reminding them of God's goodness and His greatness in their life. Uh, another example is, is the wisdom psalms. Psalm 1 is, is an example of a wisdom psalm. By the way, Psalm 1 is also the introduction. It's, it's the gate into the Psalter. And then there's kingship psalms, which uh, are pointing to Christ. Christ is the Messiah, Psalm 24, a classic example of, of a kingship psalm. So that's kind of a little introduction to the Psalter for you. What I want to do now is kind of shift our focus a bit to something different. I, I have a question I, I think that, uh, well, I'm going to ask, and hopefully... This will be helpful to you as we think about this. Here's the question. What does genuine spirituality look like? You ever wondered that? 
You ever said, well, that person's spiritual, or someone says, you're spiritual. Well, how do you know that? How do you know what spirituality looks like? How do we judge that? Well, that can be difficult to judge genuine spirituality. Part of the problem is we, we can't see the heart. Only God can see the heart. But in the book of Psalms here, we, we have much that we can consider and take to heart. So let's just think about this question. What does genuine spirituality look like? And let's use the Psalter to really answer that question. Number one, a truly spiritual person is characterized by the giving of praise for God. A spiritual person is going to praise God And not just, by the way, not just for what God is doing in your life, but a spiritual person is going to praise God for what he's doing. And the basic flavor of the Psalms is praise. And if you look at Psalm 145, which starts the whole last five chapters of the book, and it's really just all praise to God, look at Psalm 145. Now, we're not going to read all five chapters, but you can get a flavor of these five chapters by just reading a few verses here. Okay, Psalm 145. Look at verse 1. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words, and kind in all his works. We'll just stop there. Now, what are we seeing here, just in, this, in these 13 verses? God is praised in these verses, and he's praised for many things. And For example, at least three things. We see that God is praised in his psalm because he is the creator. He's the great creator who's made this entire universe. And by the way, he made it in six days. Six literal 24-hour days. And some people might say, say uh, how could he do it in such little time? My question is, why did he take so long to do it? He didn't need six days to do it. He could have done it all instantly. He's an amazing creator who can make you and make the animals and the trees and the mountains and the water and all the stars and planets. He made it all. And so he's worthy of praise. Number two, He's to be praised because he is, a, he is a God, and, and, and as God, he is ruler of his world. He's not a distant God. He, 
still remains supreme over all of his creation and has his hand involved in everything. And number three, he is the redeemer of his people. We see here, he is a God who makes people, a God who buys people back from the slave market of sin. That's a redeemer. So at least three reasons that he is worthy of praise. So fundamental to any biblical spirituality is a real joy in God. But we also need to find our joy in what, how God has revealed himself to be. Not as you wish him to be. That's idolatry. If you try to make God into anything other than how he has revealed himself, that's idolatry. So you must find your joy in who God is as he has revealed himself in Scripture. A self-absorbed, praiseless spirituality is not genuine spirituality. Now, how can we fail to praise God? Well, we do. Unfortunately, we do. I mean, just listen to us, for example. When we ask for praises, uh, sometimes it's rather quiet, right? If someone comes up to you in a personal one-to-one basis and says, what's God doing in your life? You have to scratch your head and you might have a hard time thinking. Okay, God's good. Uh, How has God been good in my life? You might have a hard time answering that question. And so here's, there's at least two ways we fail to praise God. Number one, by being deaf to His Word. If we're deaf to God's Word, we're not, we're not reading it, we're not listening. That's a problem. We can be blind to God's splendor and His majesty and His power and goodness and greatness. And so the first characteristic of a truly spiritual person is he knows the joy of praising God. Do you know that personally, on a one-on-one basis? Not just when you come on Sundays, but how about 24-7? 24-7, do you know the joy of praising God? Not just in your quiet time either, by the way. You should be having your quiet time every day, but how about throughout the day? Do you know the joy of praising God? Can Can you see things, praising God for you know, what someone does, or, or see a butterfly and you, you praise God, or you see a tulip coming out of the ground, you praise God, or anything like that is worthy of praise. So we see, first of all, a truly spiritual person is characterized by the giving of praise for God. Number two, a truly spiritual person is honest. A truly spiritual person is honest. He doesn't view the world through rose-colored glasses. You ever look through rose-colored glasses? It really changes your perspective and everything you see, right? We, we can tend to do that. This person is honest in their expressions of sadness. This person is transparent. It's okay to be transparent. All right? Too often we put on the fake mask, and we, we cut, particularly when we come together with other believers... And we, we act like everything's okay, and, and we never have any problems. And the other person's thinking, man, I wish I could be like that, because i got heaps of problems. Wouldn't it be so much more helpful if we just be transparent and say, you know what, would you please pray for me? I'm struggling with fill in the blank. You know, this week I sinned. I, I, need, I need God's grace. I need God's forgiveness. I need to be account- held accountable for this area in my life. 
And that's what, that's what the laments do. They're, they're open. They're honest. And did you know there are more psalms of lament in the Psalter than any other kind of psalm? Whoever these, these psalmists are, they're open. They're honest. They're, they're declaring before God. And by the way, imagine, imagine singing these in a worship service. <laughs> of your sadness. You're bearing your heart before God. And imagine, imagine congregations singing that. By the way, there's 62 laments in your Bible. And I want to look at an exa- a good example in Psalm chapter 10. Psalm chapter 10. Psalm chapter 10 starts by asking a question. It's a good question for you to ponder, to think about. Psalm 10 verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? It's a good question. We've probably all felt this way at some point in our life. Why? Why? We, we always got to ask that why question. And so, if you look here, he, he starts going into some details. Look at verse 2. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. And then if you go down to verse 12, look at verse 12 now. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. So what does this mean for us? It's a good example of lament. This person's honest. This person is struggling and is not afraid to bear this struggle before God and before others as well. So it means means for us that we should be honestly expressing our suffering and our distress in our lives. It's not helpful to be fake. It's not helpful to put on the smiley face mask when behind you're really frowning. A truly spiritual person knows the real anguish of crying out to God. Some of the saddest times in my life, the, these, these psalms here, and, and this, this is one of those ones in particular that I actually use because I, there's been times in my life I've been so sad, I've been so hurt that I didn't feel like praying, I didn't want to read the Bible, I didn't want to go to church, and there was even a twinge maybe of thinking of suicide. And the Psalms, I come to the Psalms when I, and I feel like I can't even get my head screwed on straight to even pray to God and, and bring these laments to Him. And I've come to Psalms like this and they've been so helpful. They, they, I've been able to verbalize my sadness to God. And so, 
Let me encourage you to do the same. These, these have just been so, so encouraging and helpful to me. So a truly spiritual person is honest. Number three, a truly spiritual person remembers the past. A truly spiritual person remembers the past. We have a number of the Psalms that what, are, that what they're doing is they're going back to the past, reflecting on Israel's history in this case. And therefore, to avoid feeling disconnected, I think it would be wise to know something about the history of Israel. It is very easy for us to think, man, I'm, I'm not a Jew or I'm not Hebrew. Uh, you know, what does this have to do with me? It's very easy to feel that way. So look, look at Psalm 136. Psalm 136. Now, we're not going to read the whole psalm. But this is a, a good example of, of the psalmist remembering the past. It's a good thing to do. Uh, so let's, just, uh, let's start in verse 10. We'll start here in the middle, and we'll just read a couple verses, okay? So look at verse 10. You see Israel's history here. Psalm 136, verse 10. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Who's, who's that? Who did that? Read the book of Exodus. God's the one who did this. He's the one who struck down the firstborn of Egypt in that last plague. But it it, it says, For his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 11, And brought Israel out from among them. For his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. For his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now I'll just stop there. Hopefully you get the point. That's one little paragraph there. These people were remembering the past, God's goodness and greatness in their life. And that's what a truly spiritual person does. And by the way, that's what you and I need to do as well. We need to be people of memory. We need to be people of remembrance. We need to remember what God has done in the past, which is, by the way, why God tells us in one of our ordinances, the Lord's Supper, we continually come together to remember the work of Christ on our behalf. That's a continuing action that we're to do. And, and notice it says, until, we, until he comes again. God's gracious in giving us even visual pictures to help us remember his work. So a truly spiritual person remembers the past. Number four, a truly spiritual person heeds God's words. Are you heeding God's words? Well, look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1. The introduction, the, the gate into the Psalter is helpful because it exhorts us to heed God's words. The book of Psalms begins with the moral choice that's set before every human being. It's set before you. It's set before me. You have a moral choice to make. The choice, by the way, is between righteousness and wickedness. Which one are you going to choose? Every morning you get up, 
Every hour of the day, you have this choice set before you. (laughs) Some have put it this way. There's two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Which one are you going to do? Well, Psalm 1 describes a spiritual man here who is delighting in God's Word. Look at Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but... But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's a continuous thing here. And what's going to happen to this person is verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. What happens to the wicked? That's verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. A truly spiritual person heeds God's words. Number five, truly spiritual person is repentant. Truly spiritual person is repentant. Literally, that is a change of mind in regard to my sin. You have to see your sin differently. Someone who's unrepentant loves their sin. They don't really care what God thinks. They may not even see their sin the way God sees it. But someone who's repentant sees their sin as God sees it and then doesn't like their sin. In fact, they're going to hate their sin. They're going to forsake their sin. And they're going to please God with their life. We can hear the psalmist's plea for change, particularly in the psalms of penitence, and there are several of those. By psalm of penitence, it's just kind of another word for repentance. But what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with us? Well, just like the psalmist, when we become aware of our sin, we need to observe the psalmist's practice here of repentance or penitence. A good one that I really like is Psalm 32. Look at Psalm 32. Psalm 32. This is a good psalm for you to read. It's a good one for you to use in your own life. We, we use it congregationally sometimes. But it's a good aid, if you will, in repentance. It's a good aid in our change before God. Psalm 32 says this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. 
Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That's a good example of repentance. And here's someone who is a believer, whose faith was in God, but, but like all of us, we sin throughout our Christian lives, and we need to repent of our sin. We need to make that right with God, and God is faithful and just, is willing and able to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number six, a truly spiritual person trusts in God alone. In Psalm 62, we have a good example. Turn there, please. In Psalm 62, the psalmist calls us to release everything else in which we are placing our trust. Anything other than God alone. The psalmist is exhorting us, let it go. It does not hold. It does not ultimately hold and satisfy. And so the, look what the psalmist does here. Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. For Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. And there is no other option. It's God alone. And, and some of you might be thinking, why God alone? Why put my trust in God alone? Have you ever asked that question? And here's the answer, my friend, because nothing else will hold you. Nothing else will hold you. Number seven. Truly spiritual persons deeply grateful to God. Deeply grateful to God. Psalms of thanksgiving comprise... Uh, uh, well, there's, there's three basic kinds of psalms, along with the hymns of praise and laments, and the, these, these psalms of thanksgiving comprise one of those main three types. There's a, about 19 of these psalms of thanksgiving. You, you might ask, well, what is the difference, again, between the, the praise and the thanksgiving psalm? And that's a good question. Uh, and the difference really is this. We praise God, and then we thank Him for His gifts. And so a good example of an individual psalm of thanks is, is uh, chapter 34, Psalm 34. Do we praise God and thank Him for His gifts? Look at Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me. 
and delivered me from all my fears. Let's just stop there, okay? It's a wonderful psalm. Please have a read of it this afternoon. But as you think about this, my friends, what about you? What about you? Have you thanked God for every gift that He's given to you? James says that God is, is, is a great God, a good God. He is a, he's the giver of all good gifts. So have you thanked God for those good gifts that He's given to you? Do you recognize them? Are your eyes open to what God is doing in your life and in other people's lives? Yeah. <clears throat> Frankly, the reality is probably no. We're, we're, we're probably not able because we are sinners, to do that in the right way. But will you promise to thank Him more than you do now? Let me just ask that. Will you thank God more than you've done in the past? Will you ask for God's grace to grow in this area? Because the truly spiritual person is one who's deeply grateful to God. Yes, of course, let's not lose sight of the the giver. But don't miss His gifts as well. Those, those gifts he gives to us are, are a blessing. They, they should point us to the giver. And so these seven characteristics, when they're taken together, present the, the, the psalm's picture of true spirituality. You want to know what a genuine spiritual person looks like? Look at the psalms. Do these characteristics describe you? They should, but do they describe you? And so if you still remain uncertain, by the way, of what a truly spiritual person looks like, well then, let me point you to one who fulfilled all seven characteristics that we've talked about, and he fulfilled them perfectly. Of course, his picture is described in the pages of the New Testament. In the life of Jesus Christ, you're going to find the picture of a man... Remember, he has two natures. He is human and divine all at the same time. But but in Christ, you find a picture of of one who spent his life praising God, even though he himself was worthy of all praise. In the death of Jesus, you're going to find an honest picture of a man who suffered. In the work of Jesus Christ, you're going to find a great deliverance offered to us. In the righteousness of Jesus, you find a picture of the righteousness of God displayed before us. In the preaching of Jesus, you will hear a call to repent and believe. In the submission of Jesus, you will witness the one who trusted God perfectly. He was willing to do the will of his Father, even if it meant going to the cross. So may you observe the life of Christ. May you see his life lived out in you.